Thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you're an entrepreneur or someone who wants more financial freedom, or you simply want to learn some simple investing strategies, you will want to tune in to today's episode. My guest today is Andy Gupta, and Andy has 20 plus years on Wall Street, has invested in over 100 companies across geographical markets. He's navigated three financial crises and economic recessions successfully, including the worst recession since the Great Depression in 2008 and 2009. Andy made his way as a scholarship kid from India to Singapore Lafayette College, Harvard Business School, and then his years at Goldman Sachs and other Wall Street firms has helped him hone in his time-tested investment philosophies and strategies, and he has such a huge passion for helping others. So today, we are thinking big on our financial freedom. Welcome to the Thinking Big Podcast with Sean Osborne, the show helping you think bigger into your life and potential. Sean believes by equipping you with the tools, strategies, and philosophies required to be successful in all aspects of your life, you can achieve anything you believe in. Empowering our own growth makes a deeply positive and lasting impact on our lives, community, and our world. Now, here's Sean. We have such an amazing guest on today. Andy, thank you for being on the podcast today. We are looking so forward to hearing everything that you have to teach us. And I know there's going to be some gold nuggets in, in, in today's episode. Sean, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm really privileged to be here, invited by you on your amazing podcast, and to be able to serve your audience. Thank you so much. Yes. And the last time I saw you, you were on a 30-foot high screen with none other than Tony Robbins. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Sean, thank you so much. That was quite the experience. That was quite the experience. And I wanted to talk with you and I wanted the audience to be here with you to learn some of the things that you do, but I think also where you came from and what drove you to do the things that you do. Because I, th I personally think that we all go through messes in life. We all go through hard times. We all go through things in life yeah. that build our character and build our passion to eliminate that from happening to someone else. We're yes. caring beings. And it's like, we don't want someone to go through the same you know crap that we just stepped in. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of where you came up and what, what actually gave you your passion of what you're doing. Sure. So, uh, Sean, I grew up in uh, Mumbai and not the fancy part of Mumbai. <laughs> and uh, it was a small apartment. And uh, as far back as I can remember, you know, we didn't have a lot of wealth, but as far back as I can remember, as a five-year-old, crouching in the corner of my apartment, really scared because my parents were fighting very loudly. And um, I was worried for my mom. And I had this fear something may happen to her. And my sister, who's a few years older than me, and I might get kicked out on the streets of Mumbai, which was very scary as a five-year-old. And um, this fear was reinforced. Close, coming from a child's mind. This fear was reinforced almost every day, uh, to the point where as a grown adult, I still have that fear that I might be on the streets. Uh, I left home because it was hard for me to grow up in that environment. I left home after grade 12, but I didn't have the money to go where I wanted to go. Uh, so I won a scholarship from the government of Singapore to come uh, spend two years for high school, which I'm so thankful 
with the way the universe works, I think it would have been really hard for me in my future had I continued to be in that environment. But I wanted to get my mom out of that environment. Um, after Singapore, I won a scholarship to come to college here in the United States on financial aid. But I had to work five jobs at school to be able to stay uh, in college. It's a great college, Lafayette College, but it's not an Ivy League. It was not a feeder to Wall Street. Right. And this was the late 90s, Sean. You're a tech entrepreneur. You remember the golden era of the late 90s. <laughs> Every yes. day you open the Wall Street Journal, you'd hear about a multi-billion dollar deal. And I kept reading the name of Goldman Sachs. It's like, who is Goldman Sachs? Why are they number one? And I said, that's where I want to go work. And I want to go work in the mergers and acquisitions department at Goldman Sachs, but they don't recruit. And I remember calling every investment bank and they'd be like, sorry, Andy, you're not at a target school. I got a summer internship at Merrill Lynch. It's a phenomenal experience. But for some reason, I want to go to Goldman Sachs because that's whose name I kept reading. And they did the Daimler Chrysler merger, if you remember. Yep. And that merger was put in my head. And I said, I want to go learn from the managing director who did that deal. And I didn't take no for an answer. And they said, look, we don't come to Lafayette College. I said, I'm taking the first bus to show up to your building. And that was my first time. And I came out of the subway and I remember like seeing Wall Street. 20 interviews later, I had an offer in the merger and acquisitions group. And I didn't even put down plan B or plan C. They asked me for three choices. I said, M&A, M&A, M&A. No plan B. And that's where I wanted to be. <laughs> and that really set off a career, a 20-year Wall Street career for me where I went through a lot of trial and error. The reason I wanted to go to Wall Street was because I had no safety net, Sean. I needed to create my own wealth. And the best paying job was Wall Street. And I had to get there no matter what. And it was a painful 20 years, 80 to 100 hour weeks. But think about the mindset I was coming from. Yeah. I needed to escape that. I never want to be on the streets. And I wanted to create a safe environment for my mom. Yeah. And I think that is so, God, some of the stuff you said in there was so important. And I think we lose sight of that. You know, you made the decision that you wanted to be at Goldman Sachs. Come hell or high water, you were getting in Goldman Sachs. You weren't going to take no. And I think there is such magic and such power in making that decisive decision. And if we, to me, if we don't, we're not going to get where we want to go. You, you have right, to Shane. make that decision. Right. You talk about thinking big. Like for me, this kid growing up in Mumbai in that small apartment, Goldman Sachs, like seriously, like when every other investment bank had said no to me, they wouldn't even take my call. And I said no. Like, thank goodness I've got an offer with Merrill Lynch, phenomenal organization. But for reasons I talked about, I want to be at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, and there's so, something. So when we hear things like that, and, and I've seen them in – when I started my company, it was the same thing. It's like, for some reason, we get an idea or we get a seed in our head. Yours was Goldman Sachs. There's something that when you saw that name, that you heard that name or when you read it, something resonated in you and you knew that you had to, you had to go do that. And I still get goosebumps. Sean, yeah. I still get 22 years later, I'm still getting goosebumps when I talk about Goldman Sachs, like that's the energy, that's the emotion I have yep. yep. as that college kid saying, that's where I want to go because that's my ticket. 
and you have to do that. Now, I'm interesting to to ask a question of being successful now, you know, going through all this stuff and being very successful. How hard do you think it would be to go back and make that same decision and have that same passion that you did then with what you know now, what you've been through? You know, I, I think that as we grow, we almost lose yeah. some of that because we've seen the good stuff. It, it, we're in our comfort zone now. We're not, it's not do or die. I mean, it's, so it's interesting to go back. How do you think it would be different if you were in your current situation and you went, you know, you, you went back to that, that time of making that same decision? You know, I got to be honest with you, Sean. Um, three months ago, I was with my family in downtown New York. We took the ferry. We came around the bend. We came onto the tip of Manhattan. And we found a Mexican restaurant for lunch. As it turned out, it was on the same street at Goldman Sachs' old headquarters, 85 Broad Street. Wow. Sean, I hadn't been back there in 20 years. And as I walked down that street, that same street I took for every day for two, two years, and you know, it's working 100-hour weeks, you, long time, emotions came up for me. It was hard. Working 100-hour weeks is not easy. Under yeah. the pressure of Wall Street doing multi-billion dollar deals. That emotion came up, and I remember talking to my wife saying, I still feel mixed emotions. And she said, Andy, you wouldn't be where you are had it not been for that time at Goldman. And I reflected back and I was like, would I do anything differently? And I said, absolutely not. It was such an incredible experience being at the number one investment bank, working with the who's who of Wall Street, people who had shaped companies, done amazing mergers. I worked directly with them, working with a type of CEOs that I was exposed to as a 22-year-old, to the boards, seeing yeah. Hank Paulson run that firm. I learned so much about leadership, about what I do now really well, about investing. I would not give that up in a second. I would go through those 100-hour weeks in a heartbeat. I would do the whole thing all over again because, look, with the upside comes pain. Yes, that's part of maturation. Without that pain, it's not an experience. And I take it all, and I would do it all over again at Goldman Sachs with the same people, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love that. And what's funny is when you were there, I owned a tech company, and I was going through Goldman Sachs. We yeah. probably had energy back then, and we did <laughs> We didn't even know it. And so this is back in 99 and 2000 when we finally did the, the merger, merger and acquisitions. I was part of the Wow, I working. did a tech deal in early 2000. <laughs> wow. So yeah, we may have even been on the same floor at the same time. You never know. You never know. <laughs> that is great. So what do you think is, you know, so we're going to get into some of your investment stuff and yep. we're going to get into, I really wanted to get into, and kind of why I asked that question earlier, is you you made that same decision that you did back then when you went to Goldman Sachs, you saw a passion, you, you, there was an energy in, in you that said, you know, I've got to do this. I'm going to do this. Okay. 20 years later, you've done almost the same thing. You saw something you wanted to go out on your own, do your own teaching. Yeah. There's something in the power, there's something in your passion that said, you know what, 
I've got to shut this down. I've got to get out of my career to do this teaching of other people. There's a the passion there of why you do. And I can see the passion every time I, I listen to you when you talk about that, the passion of why you do that. And I think that is such a hard thing to do. For me, yeah. one of the hardest things to do is to give away that paycheck yeah. and make the decision. But you have to, again, you have to make the decision come hell or hot water. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to help people. So what led you to then getting out of Wall Street and starting your own investment company on helping people learn how to invest? Hey, Sean, that's a great question. Um, it is, look, I'm, I'm not a single guy, right? I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. I got two little girls. I got a wife. So walking away from a meaningful paycheck that has regularity in it um, is hard. Especially when you combine that with my fear as a child of being on the streets and losing it all. So I wanna amplify, it's not just walking away from a regular paycheck. There is that inner villain voice in me that hasn't gone away since yeah. I was five years old, which is also playing. It took me 20 years to do this. What was pivotal for me is because of the way I grew up, because of what I saw in my mom's dependency, where she couldn't leave a marriage that was not good for her, and the impact it had on my sister and me, there's always been a want to help someone else succeed. How can I empower someone else? I knew nothing about investing and I went through 20 years of trial and error, learning from some of the best on Wall Street on how to invest. But I was not making a difference, Sean, to that one person out there on Main Street with my skill set. I didn't know how to do it. And then I found a way where I figured out I can create a course based on my skill set. And the first person I taught for free was my niece, a senior in college, right around this time last year. She was visiting me for a long weekend. And I said, look, hey, I'm thinking about teaching my course. By the way, do you invest? And she said, uh, yeah, I invest in a robo-advisor for my summer earnings. For those who don't know what a robo-advisor is, it's, it's a computer using artificial intelligence, and it invests for you. I said, do you want to sit down with me for a few hours? And look, I've been doing this for 20 years. Promise you, I'll make it simple. In three hours, Sean, with no background, she designed an incredible portfolio and she had a choice in there that actually influenced me to change something in my portfolio. Three more hours later, Sean, she had this look in her eyes. I can't use words to describe it. That look in her eyes where her eyes lit up. She's feeling this empowerment that investing, which she thought was mysterious, boring, only professional Wall Street could do it, she would be relegated to a financial advisor for all her life. She almost felt that I have the power to control my financial destiny. I might have a financial advisor, but it's going to be a two-way conversation. I'm the boss. And yeah. I can actually create my own financial future. That was what I saw in her eyes. That's the feeling I was looking for. I can make this difference. That was a pivotal moment for me, Sean, where I said, I think I found what I'm looking for, where I can use my skill set of 20 years 
that I'm really good at, I can make a meaningful difference to a person and I can get paid for this. So I then taught 10 people for free. That 10 people became 20 people, so it became 20 people for free. I tested my content out. And now, Sean, a year later, I have taught over 100 people and over 100 people have felt empowered that they can indeed control their financial futures. That is such an amazing thing to do. And so when I'm coaching someone, it is, to me, it's probably the best feeling someone can have in their life is watching something that we teach someone and you see the light bulb actually go off in their head. I mean, you can literally see it. Their eyes change, their status change. And and it's at that moment, it's like, you know what? I, I can do that. And oh, that that is what we live for. When, when, we're, when we're coaching people, that is the thing. Because we can have great careers, yes. but they're not meaningful. In, in an essence, they're meaningful, but they're not on a personal level with somebody. See, I totally, I was reflecting on this this morning, exactly what you're saying. I was reflecting on this very thought this morning because in my current cohorts, I'm teaching 30 students. And... Um, this woman was in tears yesterday after my cohort with the sense of empowerment that she's feeling. This is just week four out of a 10-week program. She shared something so meaningful about how empowering this is for her. She's a single working mom. She's got two boys. And I was reflecting, that emotion that I'm feeling right now, that I could empower this mom, this working mom, that emotion is so much more meaningful than a billion-dollar deal that I have closed. Yep. I've done 16 deals in my career. That emotion I felt last night, I felt several times with students, I was reflecting, this is so much more meaningful than having closed those billion-dollar deals. I think that's part of human nature. I, I truly think that that's, we're actually built for that. There's, there's yeah. you know, human nature that. And I think we're now finding ways with technology, with other things that we can actually do that in a meaningful way now that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't do in the past. Yeah. And, and it's just so much more meaningful, Sean. It's, uh, you know, I, I am a student of spirituality is what's the purpose of life? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of life? It's not, of course, initially it's about me. For me, it was getting out of creating financial, my version of financial independence so right. that I'm not on the streets. But once, once you've got that, well, what is next? Of course, my family. But how can I, during my time here, how can I impact that one person with what I know? And they're already a rock star, but this one person, this one thing that they might be lacking that could help them live the life of their dreams. If I can, through my skill set, empower them with that, that's so well worth it and so meaningful. Yeah, and and going into that, you know, what you do is you're teaching people from knowing nothing about investing or what you see on TV about investing to actually knowing how and why to invest. I mean, you're it's an enlightenment from again, from not knowing to knowing. I mean, that's yeah. that's your job is to take people through the various parts of, of investing. And I think that's so critical. You know, a lot of the people that are on here with us today are kind of in that position where they want to transition out of a career like what you did and into doing something that they love, you know, Mm -hmm. something that they're passionate about. And I think one of the biggest fears that I had 
and that I still have and that most people have is how can we continue to do, how can we set up our investing in a way that will allow us to make that transition, to feel yeah. comfortable in making that transition? Yeah. And, and I think that's a very good point, Sean, is because let's just face it. I happened to be on Wall Street for 20 plus years. I was with some of the best. So I learned through trial and error, right? Right there, being on the other side investing. Um, here is where most people fall into three categories. One, we're afraid of investing because of market crash and what's happening right now as well, is we stay in cash. The second, even though we may think we know what we're doing, we watch talking heads on TV, we get some <laughs> ideas from friends, we read the Wall Street Journal, and quite honestly, we are winging it, if we are true and honest with ourselves. We're truly winging yep. it. The third category is we give money to a financial advisor, but we have no idea what questions to ask, and we don't know how to keep them accountable, how to assess their performance. If they're not doing a good job, let's figure that out and have a two-way conversation. So if they're not give, doing a good job, let's replace them with another financial advisor. But I know what questions to ask and I know how to assess their performance. That's not happening. So most people fall into these three categories. And when you talk about you know, the, the audience that we're speaking to today, you want to make that transition. One of the key things you want to be careful about is that you can protect your nest egg. Whether it's your retirement, whether it's the college plan for your kids, whether it's your non-retirement account, you wanna be able to protect the assets that you have. And as you go into that unknown of the entrepreneurial journey, let's just at least make sure that we're invested sensibly so that we don't end up taking risks. One of the most common things that people do, unknowingly, there's been research done on this, most people take on too much risk and don't even realize it. And unfortunately, they've seen the impact of that this year, where they've lost a lot of money. Look, Snap today is down 30%. A company like Netflix is down 65% this year. These are household brand names. Yeah. But we don't recognize the risk when we expose ourselves to primarily single stocks. But there's a better way to invest, which is investing through diversified funds that don't move together, but it's boring. No one talks about it on news. It's not gonna get the clicks. We gotta that's talk right. about the sexy companies, the controversial companies. <laughs> and that's what happens to most people is they don't see the opportunities out there for them to actually spend less time, have less stress, put more money to work. That is actually invested in a very sensible way to create potential long-term wealth. Yeah, I, I, in the past, I've been one of those panic investors. Market starts it's going down, I panic, I sell, then it goes back up, I'm like, son of a <laughs> Sean, but that is most people, because why? Yeah. Why, right? Because uh, when you think about the four pillars of someone's life, what is important to us? Health? Family, career, and wealth. The first three, we kind of know how to figure it out. Wealth, okay, we can earn it. But how do we grow that wealth? A fundamental skill, we don't learn it in school, we don't learn it at work, we don't learn it anywhere. No one ever teaches us. That's what I want to change. And someone that's learning to invest with you, 
what it what does that look like? In other words, do I need to you know bring in like thirty thousand dollars that I have in cash to start investing? I mean, how how do you? Most people don't even know where to begin. That we yes. don't even know where to start. Sean, I don't know if you've interviewed. That was that was gold. What you just said, Sean. <laughs> I I got to celebrate you. Obviously, you talk to a lot of people. I got to celebrate you, and I'll tell you why I want to celebrate you for what you just said. Most people don't even know where to begin. So in the last year, I've talked to about 400 people. You know, the most common, and I ask them, what is your biggest challenge? The biggest challenge is not the fear of losing all my money. That's not the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is I want to invest, but I don't know where to begin. Verbatim what you said. That is the most common challenge people have. I don't know where to begin. It's too intimidating. It's yeah. too many choices. I don't know where to begin. What do I do? Um, here is what the investing journey looks like. So first, what I coach people is you don't need to have a math degree. You don't have to have a finance degree. You need two, two elements. One is you need to have a desire to learn. And second is can you do basic math? Five divided by 100 is 5%. Okay, I can do that. Can I look at a simple price chart? Okay, I can do that. All right. With those two ingredients, I can coach you and I can take you from I don't know where to begin to in 10 weeks, you have built a custom tailored portfolio that is unique to your risk, to your goals, to your values that you then invest on graduation day 10 weeks later. And I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not going to give you financial advice. I teach you how to invest based on my 20 years of experience, you are building your portfolio. And that empowerment is what the students say is what takes them to that entire next level of living life with a spring in their step. And I think what's important about that is I'm the type of person that someone can come to me. You could come to me as a financial advisor and say, you need to go invest in this. You need to do this. I'm the type that says, but why? Why? Yeah. Why do I need to invest in that? It, I need to understand the the why. And I think one of the great things that you do is you teach people. You don't teach people what to think. You teach people how to think. You teach people how to do that. And I think that's so huge. And Sean, that is exactly that's that's so important. Is to use the cliche, you want to teach someone how to fish. It's so easy to give them the fish, but you you empower people by teaching them how to fish. Because look, Sean. Turn on any news channel, CNBC, Bloomberg. Inevitably, you'll have two experts. Truly, they are experts taking the exact opposite view. That's how the markets are. You have yeah. experts, very knowledgeable people taking the exact, exact opposite view. And if I don't teach you sovereignty of thought and how to think for yourself, one is always thinking about, well, do I go this way or do I go that way? Well, I can take in information, but then I can decide what is the right choice for me. Because I say this, your portfolio should be as unique as your fingerprints. Because your values, your goals, and your risk tolerance, when you combine those three, how can they be anything like the person next to you? And we saw an amazing example. I've seen this with my students over and over again. But my latest cohort, 30 students, they just started four weeks ago. And in week three, I have them build their first shitty draft. Or I call it the first shitty draft intentionally to remove the overwhelm. Yep. And I give them only six choices, Sean. I give them only six choices to choose from, and they build their first shitty draft. 
Sean, with just six choices, 30 people created 30 very different portfolios in their first shitty draft. <laughs> Do you need a better example of how each person, each person's portfolio should be so unique? And imagine where they will be when they get to seventh version, which is what they build in my course, by the time they get to graduate and invest a portfolio. It's amazing to see the progression. And the reason I bring this up is, one, it's absolutely doable. It's fun. It's not boring. It can be fun. It can be accessible. And it's empowering. And the example I gave you is testament to no one's portfolio should look alike. It just can't. It's unique to you. And you want to be able to learn how to build that unique portfolio for yourself. You need to take over that hashtag, do it shitty. (laughs) 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 Hashtag, do it shitty. Do it dirty. You just got to get it, got to get it done. You got to get it done. Take that next step. Especially with the way the market is, you know, today, you know, the market's been down. I mean, this year has been extremely, extremely rough. Sean, this year, by the way, let me just add some emphasis to that. This year's performance is the second worst year since 1974, 50 years. The only other year that was worse was 2008. And that's shitty. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) The market is down about 23% of date. And yes, during the dot-com, we had three successive negative years. But the worst year, that was 2002. It was down about 22. Yeah. So this is a really bad year. Yeah. So, and, and most people, including myself, will think, now is not the time to put more money into a sinking ship. Yes. And I think that's the biggest fear that a lot of people have. And on the reverse side, you see the people that know what they're doing yeah. actually being able to make money yeah. in this down market. You know, how how does that again coming from someone who thinks I'm not gonna put money in a sinking ship, well that's that's yeah. that's dumb. So Sean, uh, this is this is really uh, very topical that you've brought up. A lot of people are feeling afraid. And look, research has been done. I think we had a huge number of new investors come on in 2020. Huge number of new investors. And they were winging it, quite honestly. It's, it's hard, but they realize now Right, if we're honest with ourselves, we're winging it. And we had a phenomenal two years from 2020 to 2021, phenomenal two years. And this year has been very painful for them. And the question, as you say, on people's mind is why don't I wait for the market to go down more? And then I'll get in. So let me give you a story from personal experience. You remember the lost decade? So a lot of people may not recognize what is the lost decade. So lost decade has now been a term that's been coined. The period between January 2000, right before the dot-com bust, all the way to August 2012 is a 13-year period, which is called the lost decade. We had a 40% market crash in 2000, 2002, and then we had a 45% market crash in 2008. That chart looks like a W because we went down in 2002 and then we came right back up to the Feb 2000 levels and then we gave all that back again in 08, down 45%, and then it took another few years till August 2012 to come back to the Feb 2000 levels. And after that, we had 10 years of Goldilocks performance in the stock market. So that's called the lost decade. If you look at that scary chart, 
It's something like today where people are like, let me just wait for the market to crash and then get back in. And you look at that chart, there's no way to have timed the market. Absolutely no way. People would have gotten burned again and again during that last decade if they tried to time the market. Your other option was to stay out of the market. So if you try to time the market, very likely you would have lost money. If you stayed out of the market, forget inflation, you would have had a 0% return. Now with no gimmicks, here's how you could have made money during that time. Now history is not a predictor of future performance, but there's this amazing principle that I want to talk to you about, and I call it the bad dance partners. Right? It's my term. I like to talk about it. So had you invested consistently every month during that scary time in the S&P 500, what is that? That's the 500 biggest stocks in the U.S. You can buy that through a fund like SPY or IVV. It's like buying a share. You buy a sliver of 500 companies. So there are 500 bad dance partners. That means those stocks don't quite move together. So they can actually reduce your risk. Your total return, Sean, would have been 37% versus a zero by staying out of market out of fear or likely losing money by timing the market. Okay, a total return would have been 37%. Sean, do you think I could have done better than that? Do you think I could have done better than 37%? I, well, you, yes. Me, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let, let me coach you. Without any gimmicks, if you added, so now you are investing all of your money in S&P 500. So you're putting 1000 bucks every month. Now you said, let me split it and put 70% in S&P 500 and 30% in an emerging markets fund. So that's basically a fund that invests in companies listed in emerging markets like India, China, Taiwan. Those company prices don't move exactly with the S&P 500. Okay, so your portfolio now, instead of $1,000 every month in S&P 500, is 700 in S&P 500 and 300 in this emerging markets fund. Guess what your total return would have been during that time? It would have been 51%. Shit sakes. All right. No gimmicks here. This is no gimmicks. It's just using a time-tested strategy of using non-correlated assets, which I like to make investing fun, so I call them bad dance partners because they don't move together. All right, so Sean, you can actually have made more money. Without gimmicks. So, all right. So here, let, and keeping things simple. So if you had a portfolio of just four funds, simple, right? Four funds, no gimmicks. And now your portfolio was made up of 60% S&P 500, 20% emerging markets, 12.5% total bond index. So bonds are like fixed income, US total bond index, and 7.5% gold. Gold is a really bad dance partner, which means it's a great asset to diversify. Bonds are also a bad asset. Now, people uh, poo-poo bonds like, oh, this year they're not working because they're not moving opposite. They don't have to move opposite. They just don't have to move together. All right, this simple four-fund portfolio, your return would have been 61%. The point I'm trying to make is history is not a predictor of future performance. But during that scary lost decade period where you had two 40% crashes, 45% crash, you could have used a simple portfolio of four funds that don't move together, no gimmicks, no get-rich-quick schemes, and invested consistently, you would have made a 61% total return. And that's what I'm going to educate people is there was no picking of sexy stocks. There was no picking of, let me pick the 10 best hot stocks. No, they would have gotten crushed if they had done that. Instead, let's pan back, let's spend less time, let's reduce our anxiety, let's build this portfolio. I gave you a, a percentages, but no one should mimic those because your portfolio should be unique to yours. And you construct a portfolio of five to 10 funds, 
funds, not single stocks that don't move together, and you cater that portfolio to what your risk tolerance is, to your goals, and what your investment horizon is. Yeah. And then you come back to it periodically. It's not a set and forget it. But that's the biggest example I can give you. It's so stark, especially at this time, if you're a long-term investor, don't be afraid. This could be quite an opportunity. The market could go down more from here. But you're not playing the one-year game. You're not playing the two-year game. You're in this for the long term. And if you want to play short term, there are other strategies to be able to take risk off the table and still earn more than cash in the bank. So that that's 61% better than me putting my money in my <laughs> in my mattress. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible what just awareness can yeah. do? Most people are not taught how to do this. I went through. I didn't do this. I didn't have this performance, by the way, because I was still in my formative years. I was still going through my trial and error. Yeah. Right? 2000, I was at Goldman Sachs. 2003, I was in Australia. Uh, 05, 07, I was at Harvard Business School learning some of these concepts. It took me some time, and I made some mistakes. But that's what it's like. Somebody else shouldn't have to go through 22 years and three recessions and an MBA from Harvard to be able to do this. No, I can condense that for you in a simple fashion in 10 weeks and empower you. And I think that's the service I want to give to people. You need to add one more, if you don't, you you might actually already have this module, but you need to add a module on being freaking patient. (laughs) That's my biggest thing. See, I would do that. And then next year I would say, oh shit, it's not working on it. Pull it and I'd do something else. Sean, you you are a super intuitive guy. You're pulling out all these nuggets from my course, Sean. Have you already had a preview of my course? I don't know, but you. you. No, but I know that you teach the right things, and I know the, the I know the roadblocks that I've been through. Yeah, so Sean, Sean you're you're very experienced, right? So here, um, th- th- that makes a lot of sense. You're very experienced, which is why you're coming up with these. Um, with these incredible nuggets where I can add some value. What he just said is gold. So I have, I, I like to use this phrase. I, I heard it from maybe Ray Dalio or one of the other legends. It's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. And when you think about that, it's actually pretty deep. That is gold, Yes. And quite often we forget. And why? Why? It's not even about forgetting. It's about being human. Money is emotional. People talk about like, oh, the best fund managers are ones who invest without emotion. We can come back to that. That's a bunch of BS. It's, it's incomplete. I'll tell you, having been uh, on that side. Um, but money is emotional. When the market is going down so much, how can you not feel emotion? And if we don't have a framework, if we just invested in, say, Snap, right? Again, there's not a recommendation, nothing about Snap, but just because it's in the news. Um, say I invested in Snap because my really intelligent friend said, Snap's already fallen so much, it can't go any lower. This is a great time to buy Snap. And guess what? They uh, came out with their earnings today. And they said ad revenue is declining and the stock has crashed 30% just this morning on top of what it's already lost this year. And if I am that person who just basically took a friend's recommendation, invest in this, what do I do now? What do I do now? Do I buy more? Do I hold on? And can you, 
I can already feel, I'm not even invested in Snapchat, but I can already feel that tension in my abs right now. Yeah. What am I going to do? I have no knowledge about this. I just took my friend's recommendation. I thought he was smart. No, that's not the way to invest. And that's when we pull money out or we put more money and then we've lost more. That's a very, uh, that's not a good way to live. That's, that's, that's Sean's method of investing. <laughs> Sean, you, you're too humble. Um, but that's not a way to live. And that's what I want to empower people is actually have a framework. It's not complex. It's not boring, but it's also not simplistic. Right. And it's not rocket science. It's someone in between, and it doesn't have to be me, but find someone who's done this long enough. Not someone who's just been investing 10 years because all they've seen is an up market. <laughs> find someone who's done this long enough, who's been through multiple market crashes. More importantly, that their value system aligns with yours. Yeah. That they're not afraid to talk about their dumbest mistakes with the intention that you don't repeat those dumb mistakes. They've done it, but they should be able to talk about it. They, don't, they shouldn't hold back some of their best strategies. They truly want you to get empowered from their pains and from their wins. Find someone like that. Get them to coach you. A book is not going to do justice. You cannot ask questions of a book. Yeah. Watching a YouTube video, you can't ask questions of a YouTube video. There's millions out there. You want someone who you can trust to take your hand, guide you along, and then set you free. Yeah. Because you now know how to fish. So for the average person that wants, that takes your course, that wants to go through this and learn, what does just the average, what benefit does just the average person have? I know we've talked about gains and stuff, but just from a, I don't know, a feeling perspective or a personal perspective, once I start putting some money in the market. It could just be a few grand, but I'm starting. Yes. What does what does that buy me from a feeling standpoint, from a movement standpoint of, of where it's going to place me? I'm going to give you this answer uh, two different ways and two stories. So uh, one of my students, he's in his mid-40s. He's got three kids, a wife, and... Um, he came to me and he said, look, Andy, I have been doing this complicated option strategy. And um, I used to work with someone who was an options trader, but I've learned a little bit. So I do this. Um, and uh, it's taking up a lot of time. And I said, well, how much time are you spending on this? He's like, at least six hours. And then when I'm with my kids and my wife, I'm thinking about it as well. And I said, this seems very complicated. How much of your money are you investing? He's like, not much. So I'm like, so you're spending a ton of time and you're not investing much money and it's not moving the needle. So he took my course. After completing my course, he monetized a pretty significant um, share, share plan from his company that had vested. He put that to work. So he's put a meaningful amount of money to work. He's spending two hours a week. He's not distracted by looking at stocks every day. He's not distracted thinking about complicated options when he's with his kids and his wife. He is living an entirely different life on a whole different level with a whole level of fulfillment, investing a lot more money that's actually going to make move the needle for his future wealth. That's what the course created. And it's so humbling for me to see that impact as a father, a fellow father, 
having that freedom that he's investing his wealth for his family in a sensible manner and he's freed up a ton of time to be with them, to do what he likes to do the best. The other is something even deeper. So right at the beginning of my course, we go through some powerful tools to talk about subjects we never talk about. I'm talking about money beliefs. I've taught this to over 100 students from all walks of life. What I've found in every single person, including me, came from me, is we all grow up with our own unique money beliefs that have gotten deeply buried inside that are actually quite often self-limiting. If you have too much money, I'm, I'm guilty about it. Or if I don't have enough money, you know, what am I going to do about it? I feel rich people are greedy. I feel uh, rich families are dysfunctional. These are actually real money beliefs from my yeah. students that limit us in certain ways. So the point is, we all have a certain unique money belief that we've grown up with that often is self-limiting. Here's a problem we're not even aware. This is a subconscious, self-limiting money belief that is pushing us in a certain direction or leading us not to take certain action, like I don't want to invest in the market because um, I could lose it all, whatever that money belief is, because I saw my parents lose lose all their money in the stock market. So I've been conditioned to think that way. What happens is we're not aware of that, but it's pushing us in a certain direction. Once we are able to identify that money belief, and I go through this exercise, we're able to recognize that deeply buried money belief, and then we're able to reframe that self-limiting money belief into something that is truly empowering. And every time I see my students' eyes light up and they have amazing breakthroughs, this is just in the first, in the first workshop, and it's not just about opening up a door and seeing the possibility that they can invest and create their version of financial freedom. Instead, what happens, Sean? This was a bonus. I didn't expect this. That self-limiting money belief is showing up in at least one other part of their life that is holding them back from living the life of their dreams. And once they're able to identify and cover this, not only do they go down the path of investing for their financial future, but they are actually succeeding in this other part of life that they weren't even aware that this thing was holding them back. (laughs) Yep. And so whether it might be, I want to start a new business, I want to break free from my golden handcuffs, and I've been wanting to do this, empower this person, I want to do that. It's all connected to our self-limiting beliefs, and that's what opens up for these students. And when I saw that happening, I was like, oh my God, thank goodness I had the courage to walk away from that seven-figure income, take this plunge, even though I had massive fear. Because when I hear, when I see that working single mom's eyes light up, that nothing's going to stop her. Or that father of three kids. Wow. I can actually spend five more hours with my family that I wasn't spending and actually be present with them. That's the kind of emotion Sean was describing. That emotion that I feel cannot be compared 
to closing a billion dollar deal. That has its own enjoyment, that has its own satisfaction, but this emotion of making a difference to another human being is at a whole different level. That's what it's all about. It is? That, to me, that's what life is about. Yeah. Paying it forward. Absolutely. There's such beauty in that, I'm telling you, it's just amazing. And just looking at you, when you tell that story, you can feel, even though we're miles apart and we're on video, I can actually feel that energy. And the people listening right now, we can feel that energy. And I just want to thank you so much for, you know, for being on the show. We could literally do an entire podcast just on that limiting belief. I'm just telling you, this, that is so, it is, that, it is, that it is, is so deep. big. It is, it is, it is deep. And uh, people are in tears. People are in tears. This one woman said, she's, she's 50. She said, oh my God, I've been carrying this burden on my shoulders my entire adult life. I have been showing up as my inauthentic self. That is changing at this moment. I was like... Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't realize this uh, workshop would create this result. I just wanted you to take that next step and build your first shitty draft portfolio. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is huge. So that's yeah. been an extra bonus. Oh, well, congratulations on that. It's uh, it's It's been amazing because I've seen you over – because I do coaching with, with Tony Robbins. Yes. So I kinda, I've kind of seen you over the past year grow into what you're doing. And it's, it's happened quick. I mean, I, congratulations to all the success that you've had doing your stuff. Thank you. But it didn't – here's what I really want people to understand. It didn't happen by luck. It didn't happen by magic. It happened because you stepped out of your comfort zone. You made And you've done this your whole life. So if you look back, what you did going into doing this coaching for people and helping people was the same – as what you did for yourself when you made the decision to go to Goldman Sachs. It's the yeah. same decision. It's the same decision, decision uh, Sean. For me, there was no plan B. That was yeah. the goal. That was the lighthouse. That was the only lighthouse I was going to get there no matter what. And when I took the plunge after I taught my niece and I saw those eyes light up, at that point I was like, if I'm going to commit to this, I can't do half here or half there. Nope. I cannot, especially if I'm working 90-hour weeks, I cannot do justice to the person I want to make empower. Yeah. So I took the plunge to walk away from those golden handcuffs and say, I don't know when the revenue will come, but if I put my energy out there that I want to serve, the revenue will take care of itself. But let me put the energy of serving and creating the best possible content to empower someone. Thank you so much, Andy, for bringing the gold today. And Tribe, make sure you visit Andy at anyonecaninvestnow.com and visit the show notes for a link to Andy's five key questions most investors don't ask that he is gifting to all of us. So again, thank you so much, Andy.